Hi, I'm Eric Voss, and Game of Thrones Season 8 opens with a totally new opening title sequence that is so packed with Easter eggs and missable clues that I had to make a separate thing breaking it all down. Now, my goal was to do this within the 1 minute 40 seconds that the sequence actually lasts, but you know it takes time to explain things and why they're actually more important than the job you're supposed to be doing right now. Oh, look at you clicking over to another tab. Sorry, your boss already saw you and today's your last day. Great! Unemployment! More time to obsess over Game of Thrones! So, like in last seasons, these opening titles open with the image of the astrolabe of the citadel, with tableaus that depict key events in the history of Westeros. But whereas before these events included the Doom of Valyria, Robert's Rebellion, and Robert's Ascension to the Iron Throne, this final season opening title sequence depicts an updated history of Westeros. So now the astrolabe depicts the destruction of the wall by Viserion, blowing open a crevice and setting the whole wall ablaze. Beneath the dragon is the army of the dead, and fleeing the wall are these flocks of birds, representing the birds through which Bran Stark warged and witnessed the Night King's destruction. Now, over the years, these opening credits have been designed by the Elastic creative team, led by Angus Wall and Kirk Shintani. They said that the convergence of all the characters in Season 8 allowed them to avoid having to speed past a ton of scattered locations and reorient the viewer, and instead explore two or three locations in greater depth. They wanted to keep the map of Westeros looking like a model someone from within the world of the show would conceivably build themselves, kind of like an 8 bit Minecraft aesthetic, but now they could build out this map with more accuracy and detail. So after the astrolabe, the first location we see is the wall, blown open at Eastwatch by the Sea, as it was in the final shots of Season 7. This is the most significant geographic transformation of the map of Westeros in thousands of years. This wall was built 8,000 years ago by Bran the Builder, after the end of the war between the Children of the Forest and the First Men, a war that led to the creation of the Night King and the White Walkers. The Children of the Forest shattered the Arm of Dorne, the land bridge connecting Westeros and Essos to keep out the invading Andals. That event was the last major change of the geography of Westeros, and the wall, which was built by the men to do the same thing to the White Walkers, keep them out, is now gone. Westeros is back open for the plundering. This sequence shows the progress of the White Walkers by flipping over these tiles, from white to a bluish black color, from snow to ice. The designers wanted to evoke classic strategy games like Risk, which moves game pieces around to show armies on the move. And that leads to the White Walkers' first stop after the wall, Last Hearth, the northernmost castle in the seat of House Umber. Now, the shape of the mound that the castle sits upon is a spiral, a clue hinting at the pattern of the Night King's massacre of the Umbers and young Ned Umber recreating the spiral imagery of the Night King's origin. Now, episode one seemed like the last we'll see of Last Hearth, and we will see new little changes to the opening titles of episodes two through six, so I'll keep track of them in future episodes. After Last Hearth, we move on to Winterfell, which this sequence now gives us a ground view of. First, there's the Weirwood tree in the God's Wood, and unlike past seasons, the tree now blooms with lush amounts of red leaves. This could be a reflection of all the surviving Starks back under one roof, finally, or the fact that Bran, the three-eyed raven who has a spiritual connection with the Weirwood trees, Bran is essentially a tree boy who talks, can now see wider and further than ever before. Then we glide into the interior of the Great Hall. It assembles with gears and cogs and levers, kind of like the inside of a clock, a steampunk Leonardo da Vinci design. In order to keep all these new building edifices consistently sized, the design team made them to scale of a man of six feet in height. Then down into the crypts, where we briefly pass the statue of Lyanna Stark, the location of John's critical revelation in episode one. Now, since past opening sequences were lit by the burning sun, these dark crypts inside presented a lighting problem, so they lit the crypts by torchlight, and the designers cast a flickering light movement on all the surfaces. Next, 
Next, the astrolabe shows us another major historical event, the Red Wedding. This is set at the Twins. The decapitated Stark direwolf hangs from a noose. The direwolf's body is filled with arrows and a dagger in its back, just as Rob Stark was murdered. A Lannister lion bears down with a Tully fish in its mouth for Tywin Lannister's victory over Catelyn and the rest of the Tullys. And a Bolton flayed man holds the direwolf's severed head for Roose Bolton's role in helping orchestrate this assassination. Our final destination is King's Landing, but just north of it in the Riverlands is the God's Eye Lake, known for the mysterious Isle of Faces in the middle, which is an uninhabited island that contains a grove of weirwood trees. This was the location the Children of the Forest formed the pact with the First Men. Some believe this is the location the Night King was created. No one knows much more about the island because it's just maintained by a sacred order called the Green Men, who row out to the island. They ride elks. Some believe that they have antlers or horns themselves, and they have dark green skin. I don't know, maybe they're out there having sex with those tree faces. Hey, no one can prove me wrong. But interestingly, in these titles, the Isle of Faces isn't an island in the lake. It's connected to the mainland. It's a peninsula. Could this tiny change mean the Isle of Faces could be a place the characters visit? A possible destination of the Night King? And maybe his aim is to return to his origin point and exterminate any remaining children of the forest who live there, along with their, you know, groundskeeper willies and their confirmed tree fetishes. But then to King's Landing, which is now laid out as a massive city with a huge population. The foundation of the Sept of Baylor is visible, but it doesn't rise with the rest of the structures because, you know, it went boom boom. The shots of the castle show the map floor courtyard that Cersei had installed last season. The camera zooms down the Tower of the Hand and its spiral staircase. Perhaps this spiral is another nod to the Night King, Mr. Spiral, and maybe a clue that he could stage a similar massacre with human flesh there. Down into the dungeons below is the Scorpion, the giant crossbow weapon that Kyburn designed and Bronn used on Danny and Drogon last season. The Scorpion is aimed at the dragon skull of Balerion the Dread, Aegon the Conqueror's dragon. Perhaps this is another clue that Bronn, who was equipped with the smaller crossbow for a different purpose in the season premiere, will once again aim this surface-to-air defense at a dragon, maybe this time a zombie dragon. But then back up to the Red Keep. The Iron Throne rises with Cersei's Lannister lion in the window behind it. But again, all of this movement is connected to a vast network of gears, evoking Daenerys' description of the cycle of power as a giant wheel, a wheel that she intends to break. And that wheel frames the final title, with the dragon, lion, stag, and direwolf, a wheel that could simply break, leaving none of these houses in power. But right before that title, the astrolabe shows one last event, a large dragon with three smaller dragons beneath a comet facing a bowing row of horses. So this big dragon is Daenerys, and the three smaller ones are her dragons Drogon, Rhaegal, and Viserion, the moment of their birth at the end of the first season before the bowing Dothraki, who are represented by horses. Now, the inclusion of the comet is interesting because that didn't appear during the first reveal of the dragons. It didn't show up until the beginning of season two after their arrival. Many interpreted the comet as a sign of the dragons' return to the world and perhaps the return of magic in general. Or maybe it really was the bleeding star of the Azor Ahai prince or princess that was promised prophecy, rendering Daenerys Targaryen here as that prophesied hero. But I'm curious to know from you guys, what do you think the Night King's final destination will be? The Isle of Faces or the Iron Throne? Comment down below with your thoughts and follow me on Instagram and Twitter at EA Voss. And again, these opening titles will likely evolve in little ways episode to episode, so be sure to check out my weekly scene-by-scene -scene breakdowns for all the new clues as they emerge. You can find them by subscribing to New Rockstars on YouTube and subscribing to our podcast feed, Westeros Weekly, if you haven't already, to get early access to all of our Game of Thrones coverage. Thank you for watching, and uh, sorry for getting you fired.